Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to The Front Porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and once again, I'm joined by the one and only Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? It is fantastic tonight and today. It's beautiful out. It's August, and we're not having a sweat-filled um, Indiana month, so I'm pretty happy about that. I really no. I'm looking at I'm looking at 75 degrees right now. That's pretty great. So, well, my my Echo device says 75. My watch says 72. So. Oh, you have and you have one of those Echo shows, right? I have the Echo Show Five. Oh, I don't know what number are they on now. That's the newest one, and it is smaller. Okay, it's how do you feel about those? You like you like? I have an. Let's see. We've talked about these kind of on the show before, but I and I have an Alexa in every. I can just say her name anywhere. She just breaks something. Um, it is. I've seen the earlier ones, and they're very big. They're not huge, but this one, I have an iPhone eight, and if I hold my phone up to the screen, it covers the screen. So the screen is slightly larger than the iPhone 8. It's probably about the same size or a little bit smaller than uh, the X line of iPhone. And, not and X, for those people uh, who don't the know, Plus. The, the, the Alexa um, or Echo Show is an Amazon Echo, Echo, a.k.a. Alexa, with a view screen on it. I, I like to not use the name because if anybody's listening to the podcast on speakers, Alexa, 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 potentially trigger. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I also have mine muted because she was picking up other things I was saying when we were in the pre-show. <laughs> but yeah, this was on sale on Prime Day. It was like 50 bucks, mm-hmm. which they're normally like you can't touch them for less than 80. And I was like, well, yeah, it'll be nice to have. I, I sometimes listen to Spotify while I'm working. And to have just a little now playing thing on there, yeah. um, and it shows a it shows a clock and uh, and temperature when it's not. It does have a kind of annoying quote unquote feature where it will cycle through and give suggestions. They're like, try saying, uh, oh. "Hey Dingus, yeah. show me today's you know." sports briefing or yeah. whatever and, and then i when i see something in my peripheral vision like flashing or moving that's a you know uh, uh lizard brain survival instinct but it's also to me a thing where i get a notification from either slack for work or group me if there's some conversation going on and so often when that screen rotates through i'll glance down and i'm like what's happening oh i don't get any of those notifications on this device it's right. a little i get i get uh, i get those emails i think it's like once a week from from them that says like what's new on alexa oh i get those too right. yeah and and i mean i could stop them from coming but occasionally there's a little bit of nuggets but most of the stuff on there the last several months have been like uh, there here's a hundred things that she can do now which mm-hmm. i am super impressed by and yeah i mean that's I, the... I don't i don't oh, read ahead. them to learn about i just <laughs> assume she knows everything I want to know. And if she doesn't, right, it's like, right. Okay. Well, maybe that's one thing she doesn't know, but I now own three of these devices. Yeah. I, this is my newest one. The one I started with was the dot, which is just a little hockey mm-hmm. puck. I have a stereo system and speakers at my desk. So it got plugged into the audio. Now the show is, is in its place. The, the dot is cast aside, but the one I got in between in the middle is the tap which is tall like a like a standard echo but narrower I'm gesturing with my hands as if you could see me um it's kind of like a small uh travel coffee mug 
size. Okay. And what I mostly use it for is a Bluetooth speaker. It's the mm. um, the tap is the one with a battery. It's got a little charge base and a micro USB port. And I'll take it with me um, if I'm traveling or whatever. But mostly I keep it over at the house so that when I'm working, I can play podcasts or oh, that's music cool. or audio books. Yeah, because yeah, ha- having having her round is always nice. I mean, I, we've mentioned that we would love to have the car one whenever the, you know it's yeah, waiting. That's list still in, still on a wait list yeah. kind of thing. Yeah the the main the major feature I think with the tap is that you can switch it on and off between um, hands free mode, okay. uh, which means if that's turned off, she won't answer to Hey Dingus. You have to push the button. It's got a button on it, and that of course is for battery life oh yeah the 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 one i have i just i have um, one two three dots and then i have and i'm probably gonna buy one more because i don't have one in the, the my office the computer room here the the studio mm. um <laughs> i mean i can if, as long as the door's open i can get stuff but she can't talk to me of course uh you can yell like uh like a ferris bueller right but but you know having them in major areas i do use them in my house to do the uh the drop-in features like uh, mm-hmm. I had the kids, oh, the kids yeah. were downstairs in the in the the basement playing games and watching movies, and we were upstairs with dinner, and we just said, you know, drop in down at the the game room, and you can creep on them. Well, no, we can tell them that dinner's <laughs> ready without screaming down the stairs. And oh then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And screaming back and forth, you're like, hey, dinner's ready, girls. And they're like, oh, okay, we'll be up in a second. I'm like, I don't know, turn off, you know, stuff like that. It was just casually talking, which is really really nice. I'm uh I I live in a house full of adults and I've only recently realized that um my family does a lot of like maybe not yelling but like stage volume level talking across several several rooms and yeah. I'm like now the person talking is annoyed because the person they're talking to is not responding but they're so far away that they don't realize that person is in a conversation with someone at normal yeah. indoor volume. Right. Yeah. And and I, I don't know how often that drop in feature is used, but that's exactly the kind of the stuff it's used for. We I am um, you're right, we can just yell at each other across the, the house and down things like that. But in the mornings, Sid's in her bedroom and when the alarm clock goes off and I know that she hasn't gotten up, I will just <laughs> drop in. I'll just say, you know, tell Alexa to drop in to Sydney's room. And it goes bling bling bling, and I say, "Sydney, it's time to wake up." Without yelling, you know, yeah. in the house, or like texting somebody. We do a lot of that. Like, hey, text Andrew and tell him the dinner's ready. Yeah, stuff like that. So anyway, Alexa is really great, and I actually the other one I have is the actual full sized Alexa, and right. it it is it is great. It sounds phenomenal. They have really nice sound. sound. That's yeah. that's the other thing I was going to say about the tap. It has good sound, like the big one, mm-hmm. and better bluetooth range than any standalone bluetooth i mean i've i don't have any super nice bluetooth speakers but you know i've had it work like i'll go upstairs in my house and it'll stay connected that's it's nice. really nice yeah I, I really i do enjoy it i mean I, I know we're in the age of electronics as as i always like to say i love living in the future um <laughs> but uh, alexa is is one of those things because because they do such uh, amazon just continues to evolve her her AI. They're, they're always so iterating and innovating. It's really nice. Yeah, we, we were laying in bed the other day and, and I was and I was mentioning how she I, I saw out of the corner of my eye that she heard us talking about her. 
but she she <laughs> knew that we weren't asking her questions or doing stuff, and she just kind of, because it did the little like blue ring that circles around the like hey I'm on, I'm yeah. attention, and then it just went away because like she's like oh they're they're not talking to me they're talking yeah about it's me. it's I mean that's a thing where like you said you get the emails about the features, but even without I don't really read those either, but. I noticed over time that I got fewer and fewer false positives where mm-hmm. she, you know, she'd light up and start talking when I said like election or something, right. you know, kind of, that's an obvious one. But, yeah. um, I've noticed more like that happens less often. And then often when it does, it'll do like, you're talking about the light will come on, it'll go, Oh, there's no question. And yeah. it'll shut back off. It won't make any sounds, right. which is, Nice. Which is nice. And that th- they're just that is the AI programming getting better and better and better. And like and I and we were as we were laying there, I was like, see, it's stuff like that that is like when the the AI singularity is gonna happen. Like you, you know, the it's gonna happen comes. with with Alexa. Like in her. In her, right. Her, oh, yeah. If it's Scarlett Johansson's voice, then sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> um no, but anyway, I, I do enjoy it. And I and I have never really been tempted to get the show because I can't think of anything that I would want to actually like see it but if it was like a desktop clock or any kind of thing that i already have i could replace it with i, I, right. to, I totally would um that was that was part of my justification i have since college always kept a wall clock behind my computer even though a computer always has a clock on it mm-hmm. like it was always easier for me to just glance up than if i'm in a game that doesn't have a clock or something like that the the, the clock is just always there Oh yeah. Um, oh, same here. Totally. My my my. Our friends give me crap for wearing a wristwatch. Um, mm. They always talk about the antique timepiece, but mm-hmm. for me, it's easy just to turn my wrist like a little bit instead of poking my phone to pull my phone out and then press the button and look at the time. You know, I just yeah. I I, supr- I sort of surprised myself with how easily I was able to adjust back to having that when I got the Fitbit and then replaced it with the Apple Watch. Yeah, the Apple Watch is a weird thing because I. I, you still need the phone. Like I still need my phone. You can get, you can get the ones with data, but I don't, I didn't get it to use any of those sort of communication abilities. Um, I use it mostly for if I need a timer, which there are like 12 ways you can get a timer, right? If you have an echo in your kitchen, you can say, Hey dingus, give me a three minute timer and it works great. Yeah. Um, Every day I use that for that. Yeah. But I like it so that I can, you know, have a timer without making noise, you know, without yelling across the kitchen. Yeah, I, I do. You know, if I'll I'm, do, if I'm making tea or something. Um, I look at it for the time and for the temperature because I have the temperature on there. Um, and I use the the volume and play pause controls more than I thought I would. Yeah. Um, I've probably said this on the show before, but when I'm working at the house and I have, I'm doing something loud with tools, mowing or running a sander or whatever, I have big noise canceling Bluetooth headphones. They don't have any controls. They have a power button. And so not having to pull out my phone and pause or skip or adjust the volume, I can do that from the watch is more handy than I expected it to be. Nice. Speaking of the house, how's that going? Pretty good. I made it over there a couple times. Um, second half of last week, uh, Dad and I went to the DIY store Friday mm. night. I think that was. Ordered a bunch of tile for the bathroom and kitchen on the first floor. Cool. Or the, the first floor bathroom and the kitchen. The kitchen tile, that's got to be a pain in the bit. 
Um, I've it's never not done bad. Before. Oh, I see. It's it's not bad. I did the floor and the the shower surround on the second floor last year or something. Um, the the floor I did all in one night, and the the shower surround I just did over like three or four sessions. Yeah. Just you know, made up a certain amount of mortar in a ice cream bucket and went until that ran out and was like, okay, I'm gonna go home, go, go take a shower, go to bed. Like that's, that's good enough. (laughs) And it's, I can look at it. I was over there this weekend and you know, that bathroom's functional now. So sitting in there sort of looking at it and I can see where some stuff is kind of not quite straight and not quite, you know, some of the the walls were crooked. I couldn't do anything about that, Mm -hmm. but there were places where, you know, the installation was not quite perfect. I'm pretty, uh, perfectionist about that kind of stuff. So it's pretty good. But I, of course, being the person who did it, I can really see any of the, the mistakes and issues. But I, you know, if I cor- sort of zoom out with my eyes a little bit and go, I mean, I did that. Yeah, right. There's a there's a bathtub and tile all around it. And I and I made that. I made that yeah. happen. It's not a right. it's not a common thing for people in our generation and line of work so yeah yeah for sure that's really cool that's a, that's what i think a lot a lot of the of our friends that we, we give you crap about the house but i think all of us are like we couldn't do all that stuff or we wouldn't you know have the gumption to go and make tile floors and backgrounds i guarantee you anyone who gives you crap about like is that house done yet no one would also be doing tile in their own bathrooms and on the walls right. and putting in right yeah, yeah. They, they would just do it because they feel lesser than <laughs> But anyway, we went to the store Friday and spent a bunch of money on tile. We we got to a certain point of, okay, we got this, this, and this, and they didn't have enough of the floor tile for the first floor bathroom. Mm-hmm. We're like, well, we'll have to order it, and if we order it, we're going to pay for delivery. Well, the delivery is a flat rate because they're going to send a truck out. And we're like, well, let's just get all the tile then that way. Yeah, We don't need to haul it, load and unload it ourselves tonight. We'll just order it all it's going to cost the same right so we did that then i went over saturday and did some painting i'm working on a different set of trim now again there's just trim everywhere yeah um and did some touch-up painting on the second floor i had overdue to finish the the wall painting on the second floor i sprayed most of that with the paint sprayer last year but uh, because the walls are different paint than the ceilings, I could only get so close okay. to the to the edge. Right. And so I had to go around with a roller and and get that a little closer. There's going to be trim, or crown molding, as it's called, mm. up between the wall and the ceiling, but the paint still has to get closer <laughs> than it was. Uh, so I did that, and then, then Sunday went back in the afternoon and took measurements, of where all that molding is going to go at the floor and ceiling. Uh, that was just a lot of dealing with a tape measure that doesn't like to go more than a certain distance, <laughs> <laughs> which is a just a you know it's just one of those things. We we haven't uh, I haven't checked your site in a little bit. Do you still have? Are you still updating periodically the home status on that stuff? Um, sometimes when there's something you know photograph worthy, I don't think I've updated anything. In a little while, though, I could I could put up photos of the door trim. Some of that is already up, and 
I don't think I've done the bathroom tile stuff. That could go up too, because it's at least something, some kind of progress. Right, right, yeah. I v- mean, vis- visible progress. Right, to see those things. Um, well, that man, that's cool. I mean, it's going to be, I know you, you, your family and you are going to push on that, so it'd be cool to see that progress happen a little bit more. Hey, so yeah. did we, did uh, switching subjects a little bit here, uh, did you get to see the, uh, um, uh, was it the Reservoir Dogs this weekend? I did. I, I watched that one last night. Um, we have, this we is had, another. We had that and Airplane. In, yeah, this is another double feature right. week because we, we were all Gen Con all the time last week. Yeah. Um, what do you want to start with? Well, let's let's uh, let's do our 2020 challenge. And this week will be what? Airplane and Reservoir Dogs. All right. Well, let's do first films first and start with uh airplane this is a 1980 comedy uh leslie nielsen uh directed by jim abrams and david zucker neither of whose work i'm familiar with but um they probably worked on these other leslie nielsen movies or something uh i i gotta say I'm going to skip to the end and do the end first that we usually do. And I'm just by saying that I don't believe this belongs on a bucket list thing. I, I know. Oh, that's, you're going to, you're going to jump to the final judgments early. And then segment. we can talk about it more. Cause I, I, I think that was what was bugging me. That's been bugging me since I watched it. It was like, I enjoyed it enough, but I just don't see how this thing belongs on a, Oh my gosh, there's movies you need to see and it's airplane. Like hmm. it's, fine and there are some there are some funny lines that everybody knows about don't call me Shirley things like that but 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 it's not like so good and not one time did I have like a a laugh out loud moment or a Hmm. a a belly laugh type thing I never had they they were all that's that's witty you know uh and I and I I like this movie I'm not saying I don't not like it and I understand why people like it and I've seen it several times but yeah, it's just all right. Fun. Well, you're you're kicking this off with the controversy here. I know, so, I know. um, I know the thing, the, the 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 logic that I often put into this, though it's doesn't completely hold because there are several genres of film, or genre is too big of a word. But mm-hmm. for a lot of the movies on this list, I say what what archetype, what meta, what genre is this movie? Um. Is it, you know, and in that categorization, is this the one you would pick? And I've said that before, like when mm-hmm. we did Life of Brian, like if you were going to pick one Monty Python, is this the one you would pick? If you're going to pick one Spielberg, which is not a good example because we've watched like five Spielberg movies on this list. Right. Um, right. Which one would that be? So if this movie is in the box of what goes in this movie, well, I'll I'll read off the um, some of the more like this that are on IMDb that I have open in front of me. Yeah. Um, Naked Gun, Spaceballs, uh, Blazing Saddles, Blazing Saddles some sense. of the sequels to those, uh, Caddyshack, Young Frankenstein, Hot Shots. I, uh, I, I see that as, as a lot of these things. And I, and I actually would put several of those above this one. Caddyshack. So if... If if you were making a poster and you were going to put one of those 
let's say screwball comedies, which well, one would well, you definitely um, Spaceballs? But Spaceballs more than more than Airplane? Oh, like a hundred million times. But I'm also a sci-fi Star Wars. You're person, you're a though. Star Wars guy. So, so, so taking that off, I would still say Caddyshack. Hmm. Okay, I would definitely say Caddyshack is more of a, a watch that or. And there's, or even, you know what I would say even more is a Police Academy. Police Academy. I've never seen Police Academy. I saw Caddyshack once. And Caddyshack doesn't necessarily great, great, like, either. It's just, see, there's, there's a lot of these things, and that's probably why you and I are differing here, is the same way, reason we usually do differ on these kind of things, is that I also watch these movies and talk about them when, on the show not based on any other criteria than do i enjoy it when i watch it right now sure you know what i mean not not putting in was it good when i was a kid was it good when i was you know 15 or the time of year which i think most people on the planet do they they you know have perspective on a movie and appreciate it for what it's going for instead of oh. me which is you know what do i want now how do i feel about I, it now? I mean i <laughs> I know I said last week I don't I don't like people that much but and I'm going to make another gross generalization but I I imagine that most people are more like you are in that way. I don't I don't think too many people uh overthink overanalyze things. Well, I think I guess I, I think do. maybe but, maybe critics do. Maybe maybe people who, who watch right. movies or or do this as a their big hobby type thing probably. They're watching with an eye to go, you know, has this held up? I mean, this is a, you know, I know that I posed this question, but this is a tough thing. I think the last time that I watched Spaceballs, unless it was on during ICGCon, but the last time I sat and tried to watch it, giving it my full attention, it, I'm trying to find the word to use here that's not too derogatory. It just felt played out. And that might be hmm. how you're you're looking at airplane that's, depending on how recently I, you've seen it. I think you're right. I think I am. I think that that's a really good term. How I felt was that like, ah, uh, this is, this is nothing I've seen before and nothing you haven't seen before. Right. Yeah. I and, think and maybe it was, but you know, back then when you watched the don't call me, what's his name? Uh, the guy that does don't call me Shirley. Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. Like Leslie Nielsen. He was doing these kind of things a lot in that time. And, and that was like, Oh my God, this guy is comedian gold. And he was doing that gold right then. But since mm -hmm. then I've seen it, I've seen him do that exact same act in six different movies. Sure. I mean, I think, and so that goes into the question of whether or not something is bucket list worthy right. is if you somehow have never seen any of these Mel Brooks, oh, Leslie sure. Nielsen, okay. uh, kind of movies like which one do you want to see i mean sure. i i put blazing saddles pretty high on that list because i'm a big mm -hmm. i'm a big gene wilder fan but that a lot of that comedy has not aged well it's very racially focused uh comedy right and it doesn't it doesn't work so well in 2019 um i still enjoy it because of the nostalgia but and and there's definitely a lot of that in airplane but it's not as most of it is not as edgy as and I kind of hate that I use the word edgy but <laughs> um as blazing saddles um one of the things that I noticed and appreciated about this it's been 
I would say it's probably been 10 years since I've seen this, um, is how much, and I, I'm trying to think what to compare it to, but it's the kind of thing where, like, yes, it's dumb. Like, so much of the hum- the humor in the comedy is dumb. But you really have to be paying attention to it to get all of it. Yeah. Or or even to get most of it. Um the first the first couple seasons of Futurama were this way. Um where the joke I always I always think of and tell people when we're talking about Futurama is in the very first episode, I think it's the first episode, um Fry does something wrong and the future cops, whoever they are, show up out of the periphery and they pull out nightsticks, billy clubs. Yeah. But they look like lightsabers, um, okay. and they start and they start beating him, right? Which is right. whatever. Police brutality is not really funny, but yeah. it's a cartoon. It's whatever. Um, they're beating him with what look like lightsabers, but are functioning like sticks, right? right? Like bats. And Leela says, "Officers, please. There's no need to use force." And the show <laughs> keeps going. Like that joke is not acknowledged to any further degree than that, right? And I'm like, oh, it's it ties the Star Wars joke bit together, and then they just keep going. Right. Um, this movie, Airplane, is full of that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, he the the guy gets a call from the Mayo Clinic, and when they show the doctor at the Mayo Clinic, there are just shelves of mayonnaise behind him. Yeah, which is so dumb, right? Mayo. Okay. That, that that's terrible. But just within the last couple of weeks, somebody on you know one of the the reddit like r slash funny or something posted a screenshot of that and they're like i've seen this movie dozens of times and i never noticed all this mayo at the mayo clinic (laughs) um and then that's just one of the jokes because then at toward the end of that bit he gets a call Ah, i forget how the joke goes it's it's something the the guy's name is ham and he's like uh give me you know uh captain ham is is waiting on line two and he's like give me ham on two hold the mayo <laughs> oh yeah, right that's just the, that's the just another of that joke yeah right. like super casual throwaway and this movie is packed with that kind of stuff there's just yeah. constantly dumb trivial little they're like well what what did we serve for dinner oh we had two choices there was uh chicken and fish and leslie says i remember i had lasagna right and it's and it's just that like if you um if you're not paying attention you'll you'll miss stuff like that and i think some of that some of that i think is in due to is due in part to the era in which it was made um maybe and maybe i'm just you know uh up in the night with that but um at various times over the years, the way that film is made shifts with the culture yeah. to in the ways uh, or even even in the sense of like we talked about Chernobyl, like the target audience yeah. um, is the target audience somebody who's going to be able to pay attention and figure stuff out or are they going to need to have everything explained to them like uh, Back to the Future or sure. Or or a or a you know CSI crime drama, um, but I think it also 
is an attempt to give it some more um what's the word i want to say replayability like we do in video games but um an aspect of it that you can you can still get more jokes and more entertainment out of a second and third you know viewing oh sure because they just pack it full of little jokes and stuff right right i I, I guess I can appreciate that and see it, and maybe it, it was just a um, that I've seen the biggest jokes or or I've heard sure. them so many times that it, it wasn't punching it with me. But um, yeah, I just I mean it just wasn't something that because I hadn't seen it in a while, and I thought, well, I, you know, I hadn't seen it in a while, I'll be able to appreciate a lot of the things that I'd forgotten about or or laugh at them now that I'm a little bit older um, and see them. But I just like oh okay so. It was okay, I guess. It was just it was just okay, and, and that's what made me think about like why is it on a bucket list when I, it was just an okay movie. And when you and I know it's personal preference, but when you listed <laughs> off those other things, I was thinking like, oh yeah, those are those are definitely that that genre or whatever that is, that same kind of movie, but way better. Um, and I know people who are airplane fans out there, they're gonna be like you know scoffing at me the whole thing, and I get that. I totally think that I'm in the minority there. Um, I mean, because it is I a did weird love question did love to it. say, like, like which one are you going to pick? I mean, we had this, we went through the same thing with Monty Python. Right. Um, I mean, I think. I mean, I did love okay. it when it came out. When it so, was big. so for for me, I would say the big three. Uh, this is hard too. <laughs> I'm I'm just just realizing that the all of the others on my big three and now big four list are the, the rest of them are all Mel Brooks films. I like Mel, Yeah. I love um, Mel Brooks films. Yeah. If you're going to say the big three are airplane space balls and blazing saddles Caddy and shows. some somewhere between, um, somewhere between space balls and Robin hood, men in tights. Okay. Maybe that one, maybe men in tights doesn't, doesn't hold is not as, high up there as as I think it is. So I'll keep it to those three. I think between those three, if you don't know Star Wars, which I don't know who doesn't know Star Wars, but if you don't know Star Wars, you're going to miss a lot of Spaceballs. Well, sure. I mean, that's sure. (laughs) Right. It's it's in the same way that if you don't know anything about 007, which again, who doesn't know anything about 007, Just, you know, just massive cultural impact. Um, you're not going to get as much out of Austin Powers. Exactly. Right. Um, and I think for as much as I enjoy Blazing Saddles, it's, it, you know, all the stuff I said before about the the racial humor, mm-hmm. I think is going to be harder to swallow to right. a modern to a modern viewer seeing it for the first time. So if you've never seen any movie in this genre, I think this one works pretty well as a as an entry point. It's just like a generally acceptable everybody knows. Like if you watch this and you're like, "Oh man, this is funny." If you're in the, you know, you're with the right group in the right frame of mind and you really enjoy it, then get in get into the obviously if you're a Star Wars fan, Spaceballs is at the top of that list. Right. Yeah, and um, and I do like I, I guess that's the thing is I I like almost all the Mel Brooks movies, and sure. I and I would definitely pick his his my choices his work his work over over any yeah. of this stuff. 
and it's funny that I forgot that Leslie Nielsen wasn't in it for most of the movie, and he was only a, a small part. It's kind of a small character, right. which is but but it's kind of good. Like I, yeah. I appreciate that they don't overuse his uh, because he's he's playing a very dry uh, kind of character that's um, that's kind of funny in this. Yeah, and he is he is golden in every one of his lines. Like mm-hmm. he delivers them and says them and they're all funny and they're all good. And his character is spot on because it's probably because he's only like a limited, you know, lines and he just has to deliver them perfectly. Yeah, it's it's not overused. I'm just looking through our list to see if there's another one I don't, on there. Yeah, I don't I don't see anything. I mean, some people would put them in the Monty Python-esque type category. Um, sure. And and I get that. But even then, I think I'd rather watch a Monty Python than, than this one. Uh so okay, I mean they're both like sort of niche uh like very like it's just a another genre of of comedy but surprisingly I don't think there's any Mel Brooks on this on this list and I I'm inclined to agree that if you're if you're going to pick just one something out of this out of this box I think how are you not going to put a Mel Brooks movie. Yeah, and and or even that, if you're going to pick a Leslie Nielsen movie, I wouldn't say Airplane is the best one to watch either. I think that uh, uh, what's the one where O.J. Simpson was in it? That's is that one of the Naked Guns? Yeah, the Naked like the Naked Gun like that is put that is way better on in my opinion, of course, than Airplane. Like the Naked I Gun mean, is perfect in that genre too. That's another one. That's another one where I think. Y- you you'll enjoy it better if you know the other one, the Danny Glover. Oh, uh, I, Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon. That's it. Because yeah, that's what they're. I mean, it's a. That's cop what they're movie. parodying. It's a cop movie. Yeah, it is. It is a cop movie, and of course, all of the tropes from Lethal Weapon have been so uh, adapted and and right. I mean, paid homage to you, that. You, you don't know what a you're going to get a lot of that. Are, you know, but. But okay, so the the next other one we had because this is a two two week two movie week, uh, we had a totally different kind of thing, which is the very first Quentin Tarantino movie, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. I did not look this up, but I saw it come up in my little Google drop down suggestion chat. Uh, so maybe you can tell me. Do you know what the titles is for? What's what's it mean and what's that about? Oh, I I don't know. It's the name that he. It's the name that he gives the crew. Is it okay? So, I didn't catch that. Uh, as 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 always for the for the benefit of the listener, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing this. That's the spoiler horn. A spoiler horn. Spoiler horn. bell. <laughs> spoiler bell. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna spoil uh, the very first uh, feature length Quentin Tarantino film, the 1992 uh, Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. um, which is. It's kind of weird, like, how do you spoil... I really have to put it at the very beginning, because this is the first example of of Tarantino's signature non-linear storytelling uh, uh, style. I watched a a YouTube video about this movie from NerdWriter, uh, and he made an interesting observation comparison that uh, Tarantino describes... That his nonlinear storytelling as um, like a writer writing a novel okay. where 
you know, they can move back and forth. And because everything is described, you know, it's all fine. Okay. Um, but this, uh, this writer, YouTuber, whatever, um, compared it more to an album where the, the scenes are like songs and you put the songs in a certain order to show and tell the story in a different way that is unique from just opening a story in media res, um, sure. which is, you know, you start in the middle of the action. Like the, the film opens up. Well, the film opens up at the diner with this long, what we now describe as Tarantino esque dialogue about Madonna lyrics and the, the comparative merits of tipping. Right. All, all as kind of a prologue. Yeah. Um, or, or overture. If, if you're keeping with the music uh, analogy and then the film proper opens with the guy in the back of the car bleeding out. Yeah. Right. Just bam, right in the action. Um, you know, with no, no understanding. It's just, it's just here you are in the present and right. go. And, and later you get the future and the past, the story gets filled in. Um, and yeah, it's just very, um, I mean, it's impressive that, I mean, and he, you know, he had done, he had worked on other projects before this, but this is his very first movie. And there are definitely things that you see that you're like, yeah, this is some like student film level stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, but just in terms of visual storytelling is is just so impressive for a, you know, for, for, you know, somebody's very first right. movie. I, I, I'm mixed on this, on this movie. Okay. Uh, because I see so much that's good with it that everyone sees with Quentin. It's the same way I feel about Quentin Tarantino in general. It's like, sure. I'm so mixed on Quentin Tarantino. Um, I, I see why people, like it and like him and like the thing but then there, then there's the the step back of like this drives me i can see why it would drive someone insane just casually sure. watching it and and i haven't seen reservoir dogs before this i um, hadn't either i hadn't seen pulp fiction and all those two things will probably disqualify me from a lot of people's like <laughs> you know judgment uh but i have seen parts of pulp fiction and i've seen lots of probably the rest of the quentin tarantino movies um but the thing was that, like I said, I saw parts of Pulp Fiction and I have come to, to learn in every one of Tarantino's movies, you can't just watch a part because no. it, one, it makes no sense. It barely, it barely makes sense when you're watching the movie <laughs> at all. Right. And, and I, in this movie, yeah. I point to uh, the, the long, what was it? Like 25 minutes of the, the cop practicing to be a, to, for his story. Like, sure. It, it's good. And it it says its point, but it's like he just takes a long time to say something, you know. And it, and it feels it feels like one of those people that has a story that they want to tell, but to get to the point, it takes them way longer than they need to get to to get to the point. Yeah, and you can and appreciate the, the point because it's a really good, valid point. But there's a yeah, there's a delicate balance in that, and then you see because. 
when that's executed successfully, you get to the culmination. Like he's telling that story and then they show you the story and the, and the cops are there and he gets away with it because the cops are engaged in their own story and storytelling. And that's, that's a thing that I talk about a lot. Like I love the concept of storytelling and a well-executed story about storytelling, even though that's a meta thing, you know, just when that kind of stuff is, is well-executed, it's something I really appreciate. Um, to where you're just getting all the setup for this character who is the same character we saw at the beginning of the film bleeding out. And so if you, if you just started the story with him, like meeting up with his, with his contact and like, like, Oh, I'm in, like, you're not the whole tone of the movie changes. Uh, But when it's not, when, when those, when those pieces, when that payoff, doesn't doesn't work for you when it's um it just doesn't it doesn't click then you're like uh why did you why did you waste so much of my time with this like you can sort of you could sort of say that about the um the prologue sequence like exactly right yeah what really was this for because you get i mean and again like the whole tipping thing you mentioned the tipping thing the, the whole tipping thing like it sort of tells you about Steve Buscemi's character, Mr. Pink, but does it matter? Does it? Yeah. And it's, and it, that's one of the things where, um, this being his first movie, you can see like a lot of these things are really good, but some of these things you're like, okay, I see what you were trying to do, but it didn't quite work. Right. Um, and that's, and and that's what I think Tarantino for me is a lot of times it's not, I mean, mm. a lot of times it does work. And actually with the story scene is another good example of, um, there's a lot of things to unpack there that I can appreciate otherwise. Like the way the director Tantino directs that whole sequence is pretty impressive. Like he does that where he's telling the story to the people like that. He's telling the, mm-hmm. the mob boss and his men, this he's relating this story about going into the police the bathroom with these police officers and then it transitions kind of naturally into him standing in front of the police officers and saying the words kind of to the police officers yeah and i'm like that's a re- that's a 100% director doing that the script yeah, is just him talking and the director is like making this happen i'm like that's impressive that's and a then good he's shot. and then they eventually because that it's a montage they start with him uh, being coached by his handler or whatever. And then over time, he's working on the story. He's working on the story. Then they show you the story with the bathroom and the cops. And then to him meeting with the boss, Joe, and telling the story. Um, and you see that he's, you know, in, in the true montage tradition, like he's perfected this story to a point where when, one of the guys interrupts him with a question like he's got the he's got the flippant answer as if this was a true story exactly you know just just ready because he you know he's rehearsed it and worked it enough that he believes it himself which is great like that that's that's the tarantino thing that's that's what um and bully free i can't i can't like hold any of this against him 
like saying, oh, well, that's just terrible. Because I'll tell you what, if you're evaluating it in, in the like the storytelling, uh, I don't know how you evaluate it even. Because what I want to say, what I default want to say is like, if this is any other person or any other uh, company makes this, 90% of his movie would make the cutting room floor. It's like, yeah. you, you're, it just goes against all plots. You're, you're not keeping the, the, keep the pace. You're, you're slowing down everything. You don't have the, you, all these, the beginning, middles, and ends. You're just, sometimes he just throws things in because it's like, that's cool. You know, and like, it, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, right. And, and that is actually part of Tarantino. I had the pleasure uh, about four or five years ago, uh, before Hateful Eight came out, um, mm-hmm. of he did a like a two hour talk at um, the Adobe Max. Maybe it's only an hour. Adobe Max conference, and I was there. And he comes up on stage, and you know, you get to it's like at Hall H at, at San Diego, uh, yeah, yeah, convention center. And it was really cool. I honestly didn't really put him together with like who he was. It was coming on there, and you know, seeing him was like, wait. I know I've seen some of his movies, but who is he? Like, oh, yeah, he's the Kill Bill guy stuff. But I didn't read anything about him or know anything about him more than any other director in the world. And I will say I felt when I left that a greater appreciation for the man than I ever had before. And I I would have thought he was an arrogant Hollywood type person <laughs> and, until until listening to him talk because he was still he's still an arrogant Hollywood person. But sure. but he like he has these. It'd be pretty hard to reach the level of acclaim that he's gotten and and be unaffected by that. Well, well, it's not it's not just that. It's that he's he's not Hollywood. He's kind of like apart from Hollywood. He still right. has the same mentality as a person, but and and I you can go watch, read Quarantino's biographies, I'm sure everywhere, but I don't need to go into that. But mm-hmm. it basically he's one of those people like I only make movies that I want to make and I don't care about anyone else and it it doesn't matter. Which makes mm-hmm. you, him sound arrogant and and terrible, but when you hear him relay that, it's like how he went through making a movie and people didn't like it and he didn't care and he was like, I still made movie, I still filmed, and because I didn't need to make millions of dollars, I don't, right. I wasn't in this because I enjoyed doing what I was doing and and I enjoyed the final product because it made me feel good and happy. Yeah, know? he's a. You know, this is a term that's thrown around a lot, but he's an artist. He is. And, and that that actually does that term does fit him. I think he's a movie artist. And so when I watch Reservoir Dogs and I want to say, oh, yeah, there's things that he needs to do and fix that and whatever. I, I don't think it matters. I think what matters is that he's this director and writer, which is him, is mm-hmm. clearly doing exactly what he wanted to do. And he did it ex- really well. Like the, the shooting was really well the story was way too long and drawn out and didn't meet a lot of stuff, but it got every beat it it wanted to get. And you can tell it. It's an hour 40. I don't know how you would, I mean, you could cut stuff out, but it's, there's not a lot of story story here. Like it's just, it's just this. um, I mean, there is a story, but it's, it's straightforward. It's, you know, told out of sequence, which you know, enhances the, if you watched this story straightforward chronologically, there would be nothing to it. Um, yeah. You know, it would be just 
<clears throat> it would just be kind of boring. Well, if you cut out all all those extra pieces I'm talking about, you'd have a 20 minute movie at best. Right. Um, and it's and, almost yeah. you can see all of the um, the low budget aspects of it. Mm -hmm. um, the things where where I say it feels like a student film are things like the special effects and the Foley work. Like yeah. Every time every time they're shooting, I'm like, what kind of gun are they using? Because he just shot. He just fired that pistol like 18 times yeah right. i don't i don't think that's how handguns work <laughs> right. um and you know just that kind of stuff um but and of course you go through the story and you get to the end and and everybody is dead yeah <laughs> right so there's no like there's there's none of that but it's almost it's almost like a bottle what they say like in tv they call a bottle episode you do see other on location kind of stuff and scenes in the in the office and stuff but most of the movie is t it takes place in this warehouse right and there's just different corners of the warehouse and and people talking and dealing with um this tension i know one of the one of the trivia things on imdb says um tarantino is particularly flattered that this movie often ends up on top 10 heist movie Mm -hmm. lists even though you don't see the heist you never at see all. the heist right which is it like, that's a really big play there that all happens before the movie starts yeah um and you and you don't see any of it it's just all dialogue it is and acting right the the i will put this up against since we just saw this what i think is one of the best crime drama movies of all time the departed and this is runs a very similar genre of it. Everybody, yeah, everybody dies at the end of, of the Departed. It, it's, it's, <laughs> it has to do with the rat, and and a, you know it's very much the same kind of a thing. But and the, the Departed de was another movie where a lot of it is is carried off by the acting. It is, but they do a lot a lot more in that movie than I think the plot moves and characters grow and change than this one and they it doesn't have i don't know i guess this this movie felt like it had five scenes total in it or maybe even four that was it because it was just like the car scene um the scene when mr pink mr white and mr orange are in the thing then the, the other guy shows up that's another scene um the yeah, i don't know the beginning prologue is probably a scene and then the end scene mm -hmm. there wasn't a whole lot of you know See, it was just like these, that's it. It was like four scenes and that was it. Whereas The Departed was an epic, it felt like an epic thing and it was moving and going where this one was just like, okay, let's just hear about these guys and these guys talk and... and okay, so I'm going to... I'm not I saying, this makes me if, sound like I'm, I'm hating on this movie. I'm not hating on this movie. Sure, sure. I'm just, I have IMDb in front of me, so I have yeah. to I have to fact check a little bit. Sure. Um, Departed is a, is a Scorsese movie and they're, mm -hmm. you know, when people rank directors... Uh, you know, Spielberg, Scorsese, Tarantino are all probably in the top 10 at the very least. Sure. Um, the estimated budget for Reservoir Dogs is 1.2 million. Okay. Which sure. sounds like a lot to me, but they have, you know, they had uh, Steve Buscemi and Harvey Keitel. Uh, estimated budget for The Departed is 90 million. Sure. I mean, sure. So, <laughs> I mean, just uh, I, I get that, you know, but you... that's but it but it shows, and I agree with what you're saying. You know, it's yeah. just I mean, it's I... it's cameras in a room. Um, 
the the some of the trivia says when they uh they they didn't have the budget to do on location shooting so like in the scenes where they're um uh Steve Buscemi is trying to uh hijack the car from the woman like they could only shoot while the lights were green uh kind of stuff it and and you can tell with a lot of that stuff it's very low budget well sure i mean here's my thing this is what what to take the Steve Buscemi thing with the tipping earlier it's like i don't care I, sure. I don't care about all of the meta, his kind of argument in a kind of a nutshell is like, I don't care about all the things about them having to uh, make a wage and the government and stuff like that. It's like, I don't think they did a good job and I don't want to pay them. And I don't think it should be, I don't care of all the reasons. It's mm-hmm. the same thing with a movie thing. Like I don't care that one take 90 million or take $500 billion to make. And sure. And I mean, that's a, that's a specific number right? that I had to look up to know that but even no, i get that i get that even for me just watching it and i and i did look this up because i was like 1992 was this his first movie it and is his first right it turns out yes yes it was and so even just like i don't think you need to know any more than that but just to go this is his first movie yeah and so and it's not and even if you don't know anything else than that you're like well this is probably you know not gonna be up to the same production quality or et cetera, et cetera, as, as his later work, he's probably still figuring out his tone <laughs> and his voice. He's, he was 29 when this movie came out. See, we're, um, we're having the same, we're having the same. It's, it's the discussion. details, of the background. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm countering my own point, but even yeah. if you just know that this was his first movie, to me, that feels like enough to give it a little bit of leeway to say, yeah, it's not um what's a what's a good example of this? I mean, I I get it. I just don't, I don't know I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter to me. I there it and I know it does sure. to, to a lot of people. I just the meta. I'm going to call all that the meta. I go to a, a movie, I have my own time which is worth money to me, and I sit down and watch a show and you know, does it matter that it's, you know, $50,000 to make as opposed to 280? No. Does it, does it matter that it was a guy's first movie or a guy's 80th movie? No. All that matters is that was it entertaining? And this, and this movie was entertaining, I think. And Tarantino, and I kind of holding him up to the rest of his movies too, because whether it was his first or other, they're very much all the same. Like Tarantino has a style. Sure. Since, since Re- Reservoir Dogs all the way through hateful eight. And all he's done is really amplify that style. Um, like if hateful eight's a perfect example, it's, it does the same thing with reservoir dogs just on a much higher budget. And for like twice the amount of time, it's like a three hour movie or something. And they spend instead of 20 minutes talk in a talking about a story, they spend, you know, 60 minutes in a stagecoach talking with Kurt Russell and about some story that doesn't matter. Well, in the like, I've not seen Hateful Eight yet, but um, my sort of first reaction to that is to go, well, maybe this was better. It's like when um, it's like when a band gets started and they're not famous and they record all their songs in their garage mm-hmm. or their basement and they have this, you know, this I'm going to say genuineness. But they have they have these certain qualities to their to their sound and their writing that are born out of this out of this struggle and this tension, right? Yep. 
to where later they become well it's like um it's like comparing new hope to phantom menace yeah right right you're right. like when there was nothing and it was just you had to do everything by hand and he had to get people to help him etc cetera, etc cetera. like he made this thing that revolutionized a genre yeah and then years later when everybody was kissing his ass he made some truly awful convoluted kid movies full of politics that right. were just a disaster right and and i do think and i mean that, that's i'm you know it's hyperbole, no no I, but, I totally your point is totally valid and i agree i think that hateful eight which some people liked i guess and but was a lesser movie than reservoir dogs reservoir dogs is a much better movie just because of all the reasons you just said he was you know doing what he was he's making that movie for the first time and then he now he's he's that kind of a director and his art style, I'm using air quotes here, his art artistic style is a style. And he's just going to continue to make those kinds of movies, which is also an impressive thing because the man has said he doesn't think that you need to keep making movies forever. He wants to make 10 movies. He thinks that's what he probably has in him. It's just kind of a number he pulled out and was like, not because I couldn't just keep making movies, but he's like, why would you want to watch the same movie that I'm making because I have a style. It's you've seen well, it and in my ten. And movies. you you said that earlier. Like he only makes the movies that he wants to make. Right. And he's like, I it, by the time you see ten of my movies, you're gonna know the kind of stories that I tell enough times <laughs> that you're done wanting to hear Quentin sure. Tarantino stuff. Sure. So so I appreciate that hugely, and that's what makes me like him even more. It's like I can't fault him for Reservoir Dogs' long dialogues because he's doing exactly what he wants to do, and it's pretty good and good good on him right like yeah this is good um it shouldn't be somebody else's art artwork people shouldn't try to you know copy that because this is his so so it's a really weird kind of judgment on this movie and any quentin tarantino movie is because is it is it a movie like other movies no it's a quentin tarantino piece and that's (laughs) people say that and that that means a lot uh sure so and whatever he's going to make, by the way, people were talking about him wanting to direct or maybe even he wanting to direct the next Star Trek movie. I think it's fairly confirmed at this is point. It, is it? Is it? That that bugs me. Hmm. Be, it, well, it bugs me for two reasons. One is that it's not a Tarantino movie. Like he's he, he's not going right. to make it a Tarantino That's, movie. Right. In in some some interviews. And this is kind of a funny sort of narrative here. But as you said before, he has said that he's going to and maybe he's counting the kill bills as one movie or something but he is going to do one more movie and then be done because that'll be 10 mm-hmm. but then he's also said maybe there's a loophole where star trek doesn't count because it's not an original story mm-hmm. or you know an original property and so you know maybe he'll do star trek and then one more and yeah. then be done I, I agree with that, actually. And when you listen to him or read about the stuff he said and listen to his interviews, I think what he meant meant or means by 10 movies, again, air quotes, is mm-hmm. that is that it's 10 Tarantino movies. It's kind of like I have 10 pieces of art that are my original artwork and that mean that have the story I kind of I want to tell from who I am. And these are these 10 movies mm-hmm. and, and, and they're all going to kind of be the same ish, you know, and I think yeah. that that's what he means. It's not, you know, but, but he could probably make, he could probably come back and make Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, right? You know, he, I don't care. It's money to make money and it's fun. 
but it's not so, going to be a Tarantino movie. I I want to talk about this for a second, but mm-hmm. before I before I transition to that, let's do final judgments oh, on sure. Reservoir Dogs. Um, good movie, bucket list movie, or a movie you could skip. Oh, you don't want to skip this. I think it's a good movie. Um, uh, I don't know about bucket list. I I would rather. I mean, Departed's on this list, so uh, it's not like it's edging Departed out. I don't know. How, you go first. What do you think? I mean, what do you, how do you feel about this? Okay. I think if, again, as I always try to, not always, but often try to do, uh, put this movie in a box. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to watch one Tarantino film, um, this one's, and I don't want to spoil Pulp Fiction because you haven't seen it, but, um, and Pulp Fiction is also on this list, which is, you know, they said, Let's pick two Tarantino films, and they pick these two, his first two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that's right, because Pulp Fiction was yep. in 93. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure I'll have to wait until we watch Pulp Fiction to say which of these two movies belong on this list. I think this one is more for all of the... Tarantino does not make family films. Let's say it that way. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of racial humor in this. There's a lot of profanity. There is um, not quite cartoonish violence like in his later films that have a higher budget. Uh, but there's plenty of violence, plenty of blood. Um, so all of that being said, I think this movie is probably easier to watch in that regard than Pulp Fiction. Um, and so if you're only going to watch one Tarantino film and you're a little squeamish about stuff like that. This one definitely wins out. Um, I kind of agree and, with that. I kind of agree with and that. And as I often say, if you're, if you're interested in all at all in the history of film or the chronology of directors, or even like we talked about with what movie was it? One of the, one of the more classics. I mean, we've watched many classics on this list, stuff like, um, vertigo and oh yeah the um, older movies right yeah things that that sort of um influenced filmmaking mm-hmm. over the years even stuff like stand by me or um any of that this is definitely one of those like i don't know if we would have the same kind of christopher nolan films as we have had without oh, tarantino this just dawned on me like i don't know we've been doing this for like uh how many movies now and and I just dawns on me that a different way that you and I are viewing this stands up to the term bucket list. It's is this a movie that I think that people should watch to appreciate, not appreciate. Sorry, is this a movie that they should watch to make themselves, you know, be enjoyed by cinema, or is this a one hundred um, film top film appreciation list? That's, that's, I think, where the, you and I are seeing things different on a lot of movies. Where we see different is because sure. I, I would think, when I think of Bucket List, it's like, here's 100 movies that will, will definitely entertain you, and you have to watch them in your life because they were the, they were the most entertaining movies. Um, oh, inste- instead of Instead of, <clears throat> these are the top 100 movies that will make you appreciate movies and cinema. It's probably why I didn't think, vert- I didn't really get Vertigo at all. Because... While it has a lot of appreciation, you need to watch that show to really appreciate cinema and film. It's great for that. If that was how we're judging this, 
I give that you must watch that. <laughs> but if you look back, but if you look back on my things, it probably was not a must watch because sure. because is it one of the most entertaining movies that you should you should watch in your life on your bucket list? I didn't think so at all. But it is definitely top 100 film appreciation movies. I mean, and I think I think you know to go back to that, I think there are Hitchcock films that are that would be higher than that. Like I've not Maybe, seen yeah, his sure. entire catalog, but um you know, maybe something like Rear Window. I think we should watch that when the the gender swapped remake comes out, but that'll be right, right. later this year or next man, year. That that man, I have to really now start spend this week thinking <laughs> about our bucket list challenge because just spend spend some time staring at the poster and go. I don't know. Was Back to the Future really as good as as I? Well, see, that, that's of what I mean. That's what's so weird about this is that I don't, I don't know. Now, if I'm looking at these movies as a, a cinema and film appreciation list, this a lot of those movies don't fit on there. I don't know if you know. I don't know. Does Back to the Future really sit on a on a film changing film and cinema and making its mark in film and cinema? I don't really. I wouldn't know if I'd put it on there. But mm. I definitely ranked it as high as you must watch it a hundred times. Why? Because I think it's an entertaining use of my time watching a <laughs> sure. movie. Right? Sure. So I'm gonna have to spend this week th- thinking about that now. Yeah, it's a and and I don't maybe because of the way that you look at things, I I don't always default to that more academic point of view. Like, what did sort of a question that that we haven't really asked is like what what was this film's impact? Right on, that, on cinema. When I, that's film appreciation, right there. You know, right. Yeah. Thinking, when you know, I was in yeah. when I was in college, um, it took me five years to finish because I transferred schools and mm-hmm. had classes that weren't offered at the same time that were prereqs. And so for my last year, my last two semesters, I had space in my class schedule, mm-hmm. um, but I had to you know keep credit hours for the scholarships I had and whatnot. Anyway, all of that to say I took film appreciation my mm-hmm. last semester in college. Okay. And it was funny because the book, which I probably still have in a box somewhere, was written by the professor, which is probably not unusual if you go to a big university. Right. I went to a small engineering school with about less than 2000 students. Yeah. Um but he wrote this book and in the first class, he gave us this sort of overview, like what, what is film and what makes film different from other forms of art? And I was very proud of myself for uh, pointing out that film is a collaborative medium, which right, right. The, the reason I was proud of that is that that is a movie quote. Oh, is it? From, uh, okay. from one of the uh, Scream movies like the second or third scream movie they're at a film school like the i'm not a big horror movie guy but when i was a teenager and i could rent movies without mom and dad knowing i would get a couple you know some of these horror movies that i wasn't supposed to see and the scream trilogy is like they're not quite parodies they're kind of like I don't even know how to describe them. They're a little bit like the Orville where you don't know, like they're referencing their homages to stuff. Yeah. They're, they're homages without being like, um, you know, the scary movie franchise, which is straight ridiculous, uh, you know, um, camp parody. Yeah. Uh, but these were very, 
let's say meta. It's like there's the character who's the like the info dump exposition exposition guy, and he's the guy who works at the video store, and he tells them all about how here are the rules for surviving a horror film. You never drink and you never have sex and you never because the you know early right. horror films were these kind of morality plays. Um, and then in the third movie, he does he does this whole thing where the, like his character's dead, but he recorded a video for them to see. And he's like, in a trilogy, in the third part of a trilogy, all the rules change. You yeah. know, it can turn out that this is this and this guy is actually that's actually his sister and um, all of this stuff. And it's very meta. Um, but there's a sequence where they're at a film school and they're like professor turns out to be the killer or something. And one of the kids was not contributing to his group project. And the professor's like, film is a collaborative medium. Like right (laughs) before he stabs him or whatever. Anyway, I went way off on a tangent on that story. (laughs) Um, but his focus in that class was... For him, the art of film was in the watching. And so he was focused on how you, like what you do, how you look at film and how you, and of course this has been probably almost, not almost 20 years, 15 years ago uh, for me. And so I I forget a lot of those um, impressions and and conclusions uh, with that, but that's, that's an interesting question to circle back to a film's impact. Um, the impact of Reservoir Dogs is fairly uh, obvious, but yeah, for a movie like um, like Back to the Future, well, what kind of time travel stories were being told before then compared to what ones have we seen since? Sure. I imagine I imagine the ones before were much more dark um stuff like the time machine yeah um and of course since it probably took a little while but i mean what what came first back to the future or star trek 4 i think oh, right. back to the future wasn't it i think so uh, that's, and, that's and they did t- they did time travel in classic star trek but then they did star trek 4 which is a different like you know, they're back to present day, which was, yeah. you know, a thing they did a lot after that. But, you know, all the stuff with the whales and it was like a way to make Star Trek funny. Right. I, th- I think that, that this this movie poster challenge that we have here going on is is weird because it's this bucket list is a mixture of of both. Like, I think it's a very some, eclectic collection. Right. For there, sure. there are some things where the uh, author, the creator of this list is saying like, oh, you should watch this one because it has it, an, uh, an art appreciation thing. It has impact on the meta matters more than the actual movie it does. And then there's so half of it that is just like, oh, this is just good because it's just entertaining. It had, it had no really like effect on cinema, but it's just really entertaining and everyone likes it and you must watch it. And, and that's, that's a weird thing when we judge these things back and forth. How are we judging this? Are we judging this list on you must be a bucket list, you must watch this movie? Or <laughs> are you judging this, this movie based on its impact because of the meta? And I think it's neat the, the way that you and I review these things. I think you almost always come to it with this meta appreciation, whereas I don't always and maybe I should a little I bit I try more. to look at it with a little more, I'm going to say academic 
but that's right. just it's just the way that my brain works like i can't right. i can't fully separate that stuff depending on what i'm watching yeah. uh based on the recommendations of of you and some of our friends i have been watching uh superstore and brooklyn 99 <laughs> which is and, not reservoir dogs right <laughs> no both of those shows are like i can switch my brain off and just laugh when they do a little cut between scenes in in superstore and there's a you know there's just a baby in a store model crib a floor model crib like just left there like right. where are that baby's parents it's not right. real but you know right. it's uh, it's so funny you know th that's that's really actually an interesting topic and and I, I think we we should transition off this this topic but i superstore while not the best show in the world it's has, very forgettable it, it is but it ha also has very like uh, that i remember like belly laugh moments and mm -hmm. and or um what's another one? I, i'm watching kim's convenience these days and and that has mm. some great like funny funny moments that if i sat there and said which is better airplane or superstore or which is more which is funnier airplane or superstore i almost would say like i like superstore better or let's say seinfeld which better airplane or seinfeld well some people put airplane on this pedestal of this one of the greatest movies a hundred greatest movies you should ever watch whereas seinfeld was way better sure right so but they're different. Someone would say, oh, no, they're totally different. Anyway, that's, I, that's a thought. I do want to quickly uh, circle back in a little bit of the time we have left because we talked about uh, Tarantino and Star mm -hmm. Trek. How do, you, how do you feel about Quentin Tarantino directing Star Trek? Um, I don't know because I, I want to say no. I mean, because it's not a Tarantino <laughs> movie and... And I think he should make those movies. And I've all the reason I say no is because I don't know what else he does. I've seen his movies, and they're Tarantino movies. Right? They're not. They're not Star Trek movies. Or like he did. Okay, he did westerns, and he did spaghetti westerns, and he did uh, the what Kill Bill movies, and he's done the crime movies. Okay, I get that he can do different genres, but did, they're the uh, same movies. Did a his, he's done historical. Uh, he's done historical. He's done western. Or you know, World War Two Western, um, crime heist, uh, kind of stuff. Kill Bill is like live action anime. So it's Hong Kong. It's Hong Kong Western. Hong Kong. Like it's um, uh, kung fu uh, like kung fu movies. That's the word yeah. I'm looking for. He he. Uh, you know what it, he should do if he's going to do a Star Trek movie? He should do a, like an alt start, a, a solo, a Star Wars story type thing, like where it's not a, an actual Star Trek movie it's hmm. a tangent movie you know what i mean when i said solo a star wars story or yeah yeah or the uh rogue one movies like where it's not like a proper this is with captain kirk and spock or next generation whatever it's it's an actual just a side story in that world like um like short treks yeah like a short treks like yeah give, give him a short treks type thing and it'll be a great thing set in the world and he'll probably like get massive accolades for it and everyone will love it. It'll go down as like a star Trek Trekkies will love it forever. And I think that would, that would be great. My but, sort of, uh, hot take reaction impression is, um, the, the two things, two things that you said, and this is sort of a bit, but not really that I, that I do when I, you know, cause I've not seen all of his films, but I'll say, this is what a Tarantino movie is. It's 
long, tense dialogue scenes punctuated by cartoonish levels of violence. Sure. Which is, it's a joke, but it's not that much of a joke. Right. Um, I think the former works well in the Star Trek uh, uh, verse setting. Sure. The latter is is a little harder. Like, Star Trek has never been known for its action. I mean, J.J. Abrams did a lot, yeah. but that was more, you know, swashbuckling MCU-style action than the very bloody, gruesome... I mean, it's sci-fi. There's phasers. There's no blood. Right. People I, w- just I wonder if vaporize. he wants. To, I wonder if he wants to do it just because it's because it, he likes Star Trek. Right. I mean, I w- that's that's entirely possible. Right. I mean, the question I have is like, is he wanting when he wants to make this movie? Is he wanting to make it a Tarantino movie, or is he wanting to make a Star Trek movie? You know what I'm saying? Like, hmm. maybe he's like, I'm also a Trekkie fan, and I want I want to make a fun adventure Star Trek movie that I love. I don't want to necessarily make a a a speak with my voice movie, which every one right. of his his movies do, and that could be different. So I really I really don't know what about a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie. Because maybe he's maybe he's doing it for the challenge. It, it very well could be, and that's an interesting thing about the movie studios. This goes back to his talk that I heard him speak. Hmm. It's like they don't want to take a risk, or they didn't at least with like Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs and even Pulp Fiction. They don't want to take a risk on this guy who's who's on an art project. It's kind of like saying I'm going to pay somebody two million dollars for a painting and. Um, I don't know what he's going to paint. Just give me it a would, painting. It would be like if they let Alfred Hitchcock make a Star Wars movie. <laughs> right. I mean, it's weird. It's it's just a uh, but I'll tell you what, these companies that I don't know who his his production company is that makes helped does his movies, but um they are willing to take the chance on Quentin Tarantino movies. Is Paramount? Paramount or, CBS, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, evidently they I mean, are. Star Trek is in a is in a renaissance now with with Discovery season two and this yeah, Picard I movie. Um, I, I I would think a Tarantino, he'd never do it, but a, a Tarantino CBS movie would be best suited. Like, oh, a, a direct to streaming. Yes, again, movie? like short. I sh- I'm going with the short treks type thing. It's like oh, I not, see, not I a see. series or thing proper, but it's a a little vignette kind of a. Yeah, like man, if you know what, actually, a Tarantino Picard would have been good. Like maybe, but that that sort of runs counter to your uh, solo story uh, argument of he should really be doing. It's sort of like the Ryan Johnson problem, where you like let him do something completely outside. Like maybe pull out an old original series character or something like they did with Harry Mudd. Yeah, somebody even smaller than that, and uh, you're right. Do yeah. That, but that that would be the best. I I guess the only reason I, I mentioned Picard is because I think that one uh, uh, Patrick Stewart could pull it off. Like to hear him have these long dialogue scenes, I bet you would be phenomenal, right? Um, and and two, Picard is an interesting character all around and could do that. But you're right; it would be he a Tarantino movie in the Star Trek universe would be a small character that's on the screen, like a Harry Mudd or less and do incredible I'm, stuff I'm with it. Curious. Now talking about this, I had to look it up. <laughs> uh, the, the short treks are coming back in the fall. Oh, 
was like, man, yeah. aren't those coming pretty close? Well, we're I know. It's, it's already August, so you, just you, a couple you months. You mentioned the Orville, and I was already like, oh, when is it coming out? <laughs> it's so silly that, that I, I, I love that show so much. Um, but yes, the, the Discovery, the, the same kind of thing. So I, I'm excited. I don't like the winter, and I really love the summer and the fall. Okay, sure, but I don't want to rush it. I'll tell you what, if I want to rush anything in the year, it's Christmas time <laughs> and it's Star Trek Discovery and um, or the Orville. Those are some things that I nice. love about the, the wintertime. Nice. nice. Yeah. Man. All right, man. We really uh, did some Tarantino. T- we did our own Tarantino talking today. Did, did our, yeah, long, long drawn out dialogue. Well, um, we'll have some more comics to talk about in a couple weeks. Um, our buddy Aaron recommended me to read... Um, uh, Superman Red Sun. So I'll mm. probably check that out fairly soon. I just started finally watching Cowboy Bebop, the anime oh, cool. from 1998. That's I, I, I'm, I finally I, caught up. To I think that. it was on your recommendation. I'm getting Rat Queens. I, I just had to add it to my list. Of mm, folks, so. That was uh, I've not read that. That's a Geek Scholar Chris. Oh, it's a Geek Scholar Chris okay. uh, recommendation. I saw that one. Hey, uh, I did. The, get a, I, oh, quit. The uh, this won't be of any use to anyone listening because it's tomorrow but the amc theaters on their fathom events uh program are showing the anime millennium actress tomorrow night uh so i'm gonna try and go see that with my siblings that should be that should be cool cool. it's always cool to do that i saw one of the one of the live action death notes i think back when that's back when i lived in town that would have been like 10 years ago with zon and uh yeah, I actually saw that live action on, on Netflix. Hey, but speaking of AMC, I did get to see, I know you've seen it a long time ago, but I finally got to see Toy Story 4. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. That, we never did talk about that, did we? we? Did. I know that I know that you probably forgot about most of the stuff in there, but you know, <laughs> it, I, I got the, the time that I wanted to see it. I got to see it with like two two kids. It was That's kind of, I think, the ideal way to watch it. Yeah, but. for sure. I appreciated... One of the things I appreciated most about that movie was having just seen the original. And if mm, um, yeah. the listener wants to go back, I'm going to do this live because that's awesome. <laughs> it wasn't not too long ago that we, we watched it. When it came out, we'd watch that. It's kind of like The Lion King when we watched The Lion King and then it came out. Uh, episode 96 yep. from July 1st. It actually wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Um, we watched the original Toy Story and I said that the animation holds up considering it's like 25 year old movie now. I agree. Um, But after saying that and then seeing toy story four, I'm like, wow, they've really, they've really come a long way just in the, (laughs) just in the, in the water and the reflections and all, it all looks real now. Like it looks looks pretty, pretty good. Fully real. But it's Um, it's still, they're still very toys and cartoons. They're still toys. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the parents the story, don't look real. They're, they don't the look lying to real. Right. The story was good. Um, I liked I liked the stuff with Bo Peep. That felt uh, like a like a cool, um, you know, arc evolution for a character. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me a little while. Have you seen Attack on Titan, the anime? I saw like the first season. It's just such a okay. small movie. Yeah. It is. It is. It starts huge action and then like five episodes in it slows to a halt. Um, We watched that movie and I sort of like clowns. I can't imagine a time when kids were entertained and not terrified by marionettes (laughs) um, or or ventriloquist dummies. But uh, they have those they have those ventriloquist dummies moving around. And I'm like, 
man, they they put so much. I mean, you go all the way back to the original when they have the plastic soldiers and they had guys walk with two by fours on their on their feet to see how a body moves when your feet are lashed together like that. <laughs> the, the green army, man. Right. And the um, that's how these ventriloquist dummies move. They're like they look like they're on strings. Yeah. Um, and a couple days after watching that movie, because we watched that movie and I'm like, what do those things remind me of? And then a couple days later, it came to me. They remind me of how the Titans move in Attack on Titan. That just kind of like, like they're being thrown forward by their own momentum and they don't have the same kind of, uh, um, structure and, and, uh, like physics effects, like a ragdoll kind of a thing, as we, they say in video games. And it made it very creepy. I mean, uh, what, very, very creepy. Right. Well, I, I liked, I liked, uh, one, one thing I liked the quote, I'm going to air quotes. I've been doing a couple times here. The Gabby Gabby story, the villain. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked Gabby Gabby. That was neat. That's kind of, you know, not really villain. I, to, to speak to your Christina Bo Peep Hendrix. thing, to get kind of semi little political type thing here. So <laughs> that there's so many movies that come out these days that are, are, pushing an agenda or they're trying to make you think a certain way or, uh, sure. you know, especially when it comes to gender or whatever, they'll say here, this is, this is a point it's in your face. Deal with it. Th- this was a Bo peep that I love because it shows like female empowerment. And I went with two, two uh, female kids um, mm-hmm. and they can love and appreciate and want to be Bo peep because she's awesome. Not because they're telling us, beating us over the head that she, that we should respect her or care for her character or because of whatever. She just is awesome. She's better than Woody. She's better than buzz. She is the leader of all of the people because she's awesome. And that's what I liked. I liked that it was very natural and it was very normal. And that's what I would want to show my, my girls and say, be Bo Peep, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're awesome. And she wasn't like trying to emulate any kind of male character or be anyone else. She was just a very cool character. And I, yeah. it, I love she it. was, I, she was cool it. very much in the way that, um, the wonder woman, uh, character yes. in the, in the recent movement. I mean, and it works for this because she's not technically a toy, right? Yeah. She's a lamp. Like she, right? she was part of a lamp. And so she's like, no, I don't like, yeah, you, you guys need, this thing you need a kid and i don't i don't need that anymore right and i also like that is weird because she doesn't actually get played with right, right? and, yeah. and th- that's why i mean it works so well yeah yeah so so i like that i liked uh the the new characters are neat they they're fun and funny i my favorite scene is still the very i don't know if you stayed through the credits which is worth it um in in the credits when they have ducky and the bear like um turn into gigantic stuffed animals with lasers yeah. shooting up. It's, um, is it K and Peel? Yes. Oh my doing God. Doing those voices. Yeah. They're hilarious. So, so good. That was so good. Um, or they when they're doing the sneak attack stuff and you know, with the old lady and they come back to her house and, Oh, th- those were so good. So the new characters were great. Gabby, Gabby was fantastic. And, um, Forky, Forky was so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's so funny how he, they did like, it felt like a 10 minute montage of him, <laughs> wanted to be trash and they were trash, like beating it down. Trash, and then trash. within a second, all of a sudden I watched this with my girlfriend and, and she, she said visibly right next to me she, when, when they, uh, when she starts listening to, or, or Forky starts listening to Woody's story as they're walking along the side of the road, she hmm. says, Oh, Forky's cool now. Like <laughs> in, in one scene, he became like a real thing. 
Um, mm. which was, and then from then on, you loved Forky. Like he, when he realized that he was Bonnie's trash, like that's when you take a, a new character and great. And that, that toy story franchise has so many characters. <laughs> I mean, how do they possibly keep putting them in there and everyone still gets a moment to shine? Well, they don't all last, right? Like we don't still right. have stinky Pete or You're some right. of those from the sequels. Uh, we have of course, all of Bonnie's toys are still in here. They added, they added a brand new, uh, you know, our, Oh, I'm not going to say this on the show, but um, Keanu Reeves. Oh, dude, right. Boom. Yeah. Playing that uh, Canadian evil. Yes, Knievel. I Canada. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so good. Yeah. The, 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 that's that's one of my I still say this. I was driving home the other day and I was driving the car. And I'm like, hey, guys, I'm going to I can do this. I can do this with my eyes closed. One, two, three, go. And they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. So very funny show. And, and I will say, I will not lie. I was teared up in that theater when the, the big emotional scene happened. Like I was doing my best to not have it stream down my, my cheeks, you know, just mm-hmm. hold, hold it in with the lump in my throat. Um, that's, because uh, that's, that's Pixar for you. It, it is. And, and I loved Toy Story three so much. And I did have tears streaming down my as seen in Toy Story three. Um, to think that they could still do that to me with these characters that I've been up and down with is amazing to me. And yeah, I, when we talked about before, like, is it worthy doing a, another Toy Story? Wow, they they found a reason why it was worth making another movie. It's sort of like, and I'm going into the meta again, though you yeah. started it, so <laughs> uh, it's it's a little bit like Force Awakens. Right. It's like okay. you bring back, you know, Tim Allen and Tom Hanks were much younger men when they started this this journey. And, and mm-hmm. here they are. And, you know, Woody goes through his uh, his journey in this in this story. And it's all the more impactful. Like you you really have enough of it just from the movie. But if you've seen the movies, if you were, you know. 20 years younger when you saw the original and now you're here, like you've gone through a journey in your life as well. And it, and it adds gravitas to that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When, when, when Woody and Buzz hug at the end there, like you do feel like your childhood friends are having this moment. Yeah. And, and it's like, Whoa, this is deep. I will say fun fact that my girlfriend has only seen toy story one. I don't know how she's done that. (laughs) <laughs> but she's only seen Toy Story one when it first came out, so she didn't know anything about any of the characters. And you know, I mean, what? I I said she, that when we talked about it. I've I've seen the first one dozens, if not hundreds, of times, and the second and third one each once. Yeah, right. So so she didn't even know anything. But you know what? She still totally loved the movie. Totally was you know had tears in her eyes and was totally emotionally yeah. impacted with, by everything. Laughed at all the characters and scenes. You didn't have to to watch. I loved everyone. the something else I appreciated having just rewatched the original um, was the the intro sequence with um, the girl. Is it Molly? Molly. Well, you go oh, through. I mean, that's yeah. like right from the beginning of the movie. They show you know Andy getting older and mm-hmm. playing and all that. It's that. Uh, it's kind of like the the intro sequence to Up. Where you're yeah, like, right. the movie just started. I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> That's right. And and he's grown up and he goes to Bonnie. But 
Bonnie is such a lovable character that yeah, like, but like they, they do they the, the transition better. So like that's part of it. That emotional impact is part of it. But they're also showing you like a very similar sequence to the original movie, sort of for the for those of us watching for the um for the whatever the impact and the and the what did you say earlier the just like sense of film and filmmaking or the appreciation for it right, appreciation yeah. for it and just go oh yeah you remember how we did this the first time how that was revolutionary look mm-hmm. how we're doing it now like yeah. this is still we're still pushing we're still you know uh advancing and improving on this on this art form yeah this is and, and this cool. this goes to uh an uh a discussion i was reading today about it's for another day to talk about Disney's dominance in in the movie mm. market is that um, with this movie, as I was watching, I was very aware of music and all the little things that like mm-hmm. they just whoever's making this movie and the directors or the writers or what all of the people, the collaborative effort, as you said, mm-hmm. like they know what they're doing to play a music just softly at a certain point and then have small little notes to harken back when. I'm thinking of the scene when um, uh, Woody is for the second time thinking of leaving Bo mm-hmm. and they played the music. The music slowed down the first time <laughs> when he, when he's tempted to leave with Bo and it just plays a few notes. And then when the second time it happens, nothing is in the theater. Everything is quiet. And it just plays those few notes again. And you're like, this is perfect filmmaking. They are hark- making your heart resonate that it did the first time again but now 10 times this is something and i know i said we thought i thought we'd have a short show this week but (laughs) um i've been i'm still working my way through the chernobyl podcast Mm -hmm. uh talking to the creator of that show and he talks about the music because there are many points in that show where there's little to no music like it's brought way down and that was an intentional decision by the showrunner to say these are real historic events with real emotional weight to them naturally. Mm-hmm. And so he deliberately wanted to avoid um, any kind of emotional manipulation through soundtrack because that's part of it, right? Like you watch these movies, you watch, you know, an Avengers film. And even though the, the score to those movies is, is fairly generic and forgettable, at least that's the way that I think of it. You still see something, you know, somebody, Iron Man or or Thor or somebody drops down and does a superhero pose and the camera pans around and they do, you know, the big triumphant music and you're like, hell yeah. That's right. It's the Avengers theme comes up, right? And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a big music guy anyway, so to to I totally agree. It's that, you know, making it's master craft work to be able to use motions to it's it's part of that i i think i said this a few weeks ago about star wars um Mm -hmm. when we were watching terminator it's like if star wars if a new hope had the same music that everybody else was using in the at the time in the 70s if it had had some kind of you know synthy disco kind of music it probably would be forgotten with every other sci-fi that was made in the 70s john williams is you know and it's of course i I hate to always bring up John Williams when we're talking about film score, but it's it's all of it. Like everything has to be there for a film to be to to 
to stand apart from every other, especially as we get, as we move forward in the modern era where there's just so much everything being made all the time. Mm -hmm. And the greats have them all is what it is. The greats have all the music or the non-music, the sound and the the Foley stuff. And I have it all. Mm -hmm. And Toy Story 4 has all that. I mean, it has great story, great writing, great acting, great animation, just great music. Yeah, I love that. I was really happy. I was really touched. Um, it it would it will sit in my collection right along every other Toy Story, which is, by the way, one of the few, if not only, franchises that every single movie is great. Right? Yeah. Every, everyone can trash Hollywood for endless sequels, and I will put up <laughs> Toy Story one, two, three, and four, and say, "Tell me which one of these movies was bad and that shouldn't be made." Right. Right. No, every one of those was great and should have been made. Even stuff. even Stinky Pete. <laughs> but, All right, man. We you good? Wrap this up? Yeah, we got it, man. We got a lot there. <laughs> no board gaming or Gen Con talk, even, man. No, no. We went full on the. We we talked about Disney. They're the fantasy flight of movies. So. Yeah, that's true. The fantasy flight of movies. So. Okay, there, there's your board game reference. That's nothing. <laughs> You've been listening to Front Porch's episode 103. Special thanks to our friends at Geek Scholars Movie News and LRM Online. Mm-hmm. If you like Star Trek role-playing or Star Trek role-playing, you can check out our other show, KlingonsAndDragons.com. It is not safe for work. There's a mm-hmm. new episode this week. By the time this show airs, you'll that'll be, that'll be online. We finished another story. If you have questions or comments on the show, you want to play along, give us your uh, history of film feedback via old school email you could do that at frontporchpod at gmail.com or you can head over to our website frontporchpodcast.com we got contact forms we got the schedule for the 100 movies you didn't ask me about the next movie but we're going to go way back in the archives and watch the 1940 charlie chaplin film the great dictator oh pretty sure that's a movie about hitler so that's that's gonna i think gonna be a movie appreciation movie right for sure for sure If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. If we're not on one of those, let me know and I'll get it taken care of. Thanks as always for listening. And until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For The Front Porch. Night, everybody. See you next time. 